talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey! Whoa. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Ken Man. Diana are in the newsroom. Will is driving the board. Your Hamilton Tiger Cats are great cup bound. Welcome home. Oski Wee Wee. Here's Scott Thompson! Wow, what an eventful intro this has become. I think we've all witnessed my son go through another stage of puberty. But he seems he seems to be okay with that. Want us to edit that out? No, man, leave it in. All right, whatever you want. You're the king. Uh, so, and uh, what a great weekend. What a great, uh, do we need to say any more? Is Hamilton on cloud nine or what? Uh, good afternoon. It is 3.08. It is Hamilton today. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine on the board. Uh, Ken Mann and Diana Weeks in the newsroom. And we'll be joining us around the big round table uh, on this uh, Monday afternoon after a massive uh, tie cat win. And um, boy, what an interesting game it was, how it unfolded, uh, quarterback changes and such. We'll talk to Scott Radley about that coming up uh, a little later on in the show. But uh, should be a fascinating week. And, uh, and boy, what a great weekend it is going to be. All right, we'll talk about that coming up a little later on. Uh, lots going on. Feel free to jump into the show. We would love to hear from you. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Uh, the phone lines are always open, 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Uh, Daddy picked the uh, the intro song today, and the reason is uh, Jim and I were, oh, by the way, thanks to everybody who contributed to uh, the CHML uh, Children's Fund. I got the number somewhere, but it's like, uh, uh, it's like a lot of money. <laughs> so, so even what a great way to start this uh, event off for the CHML Christmas Tree of Hope and uh, the CHML Children's Fund. Uh, well over thirty thousand dollars, and I don't think that includes the fifteen grand that Leggett uh, has uh, put into the mix. Uh, always a great uh, uh, support for us, and um, and and have come up again big this year for the CHML Children's Fund. We'll get those numbers for you uh, coming up a little later on. But kicked it it, it all off on. Friday with the lighting of the CHML uh, Christmas Tree of Hope down at Gore Park. Uh, Rick Zamperin, the mayor, up there on stage, uh, flicking the switch and such. And so, like, we always have the band playing. So the band this year was um, uh, Little Peter and the Elegance. And, you know, we're listening and whatever, and uh, Jim and I just kept noticing. We kind of kept tapping our toes and, and, and you know, uh, along with these uh, great musicians who did a whole pile of su- uh, of songs from the 60s that you probably wouldn't normally hear. Does that sound right? Anyway, uh, uh, they they played that song, It's Not Unusual, by Tom Jones. And in all of my years of going to clubs or going to anything where live bands were playing, I don't think I've ever heard anybody do a live Tom Jones. And I know, sorry, there's lots of tribute people out there that do that, uh, but I've just never really heard it done. And they did it very well. And, and this was Little Little Peter and the Elegance. So first of all, I'm thinking anybody named Little Peter that can stand up there and do some big Tom Jones, that says something right there, man. Uh, but anyway, they were a great band, and we thank them so much for coming out and, and uh, making the whole event uh, a, a great success. We really didn't know uh, what we were going to expect or what to expect because it's kind of the first time back. So, you know, we're, we're thinking, are we going to be out there in the middle of nowhere and, and nobody there at the park? But, man, by the time uh, the sun went down and the festivities started and the band played and, and such, uh, Gore Park was full. So uh, a great experience, and the CHML Christmas Tree of Hope campaign is back, and uh, it feels so good to be able to uh, to actually get some, well, most of the stuff that we've got going uh, this year is what we had two years ago, as opposed to the abbreviated version last year. So, uh, again, uh, thanks so much for everybody who uh, gave us a great kickoff weekend along with at Lime Ridge Mall and and the Blitz weekend uh, gave us a great start. But again, this goes right until Christmas Eve. So any way you can help us help the kids, it is greatly appreciated. But this weekend's Blitz weekend got us off to uh, an absolutely fabulous start. So uh, great to see uh, people back in the giving mood. And as, as I said at Gore Park, people were like, hey, I mean, we we're seeing employees that I haven't seen in two years. Like, how bad is that? 
So maybe it was just like a CHML reunion for us. I think we were just having such a great time. Uh, but anyway, uh, it was great to see everybody uh, back out and about in the uh, in the square and, and Gore Park lit up the way that it is. Uh, so please help us help the kids. 900CHML.com uh, to find out all the details on how you can do just that. All right, today is the National Day of Remembrance and Action on Violence Against Women. Also marks the 32nd anniversary of the Equal uh, Polytechnique Massacre. Uh, we're going to introduce you to Liza Ritchie, manager of community of community programs with uh, Interval House of Hamilton, and with us now, Liza. Thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Thank you, Scott, for having me today. I really appreciate it. So I'm doing uh, well. Uh, we've certainly heard over the course of this pandemic how. Uh, services in, in places like yourself have really, really felt the crunch as people are experiencing the pandemic and the environment has changed in such a way. And, and a lot of these situations have become uh, increasingly heightened. Uh, shed a bit of, of light on that and, and how the pandemic has ha- has torqued things up another notch for you guys. Well, I think just general um, having to reduce the capacity of women that we can take across the board in all of the shelters in Hamilton um, have made it a bit more of a dire situation when women and children are needing to leave homes as a result of their um, experiencing violence in our community. Um, We're looking to change things now to open our doors up to more women and children uh, coming in. And I think, again, that's across the board. But the pandemic has certainly um, created that lack of movement, lack of movement in housing, lack of movement in terms of accessing in-person programming across the city. Um, So now that we're about a year and a half, two years in, we are really hoping at um, making sure that people are able to access those services in a more timely way. Obviously, what that means is, is, is a lack of options for everybody. Yeah. How has that complicated things? Uh, in some cases, have you had to go back and start from square one again? Does that set you back? Um, we have tried not to have to start from square one. We shifted a lot of services online, um, either through video conferencing or over the phone. But we know that when families are in unsafe environments at home, they can't always um access telephone or online programming and so we've had to be really creative in terms of opening our doors to like by appointment only ensuring that those who are higher risk in our community can be seen in person we are offering in-person services now so i'm really excited to uh, share that with the community but it has put um, a lack of accessibility on the board for a lot of women and folks in our community <laughs> we've certainly and seen Sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Scott. I was just going to say, when we look at even uh, the factors that support people's resilience in our community, we're looking at safe havens. So schools and community centers, uh, faith communities, shelters, drop-in centers. And with those having been closed, a lot of our access points for folks needing to reach out for support have been impacted. So. We certainly have seen how this pandemic has drawn attention to weak links in the chain and, and areas, whether it's health care or what have you, uh, that, that, and issues that were there all the time. But obviously, you add in a global pandemic and, and these things become uh, heightened. Has it helped draw more attention to some of these issues? Because, again, I think especially around health care, especially around mental health, it, it seems that, mm-hmm. that more of us are, are more aware of it now. Like we've just all uh, I had... I guess had a crash course in, in epidemiology. I had one professor say it's the same thing with mental illness. Are we as, are we becoming more aware of this now? Yeah, I think it has definitely opened up a lot of uh, people's eyes to mental health, domestic violence, gender-based violence, uh, the inequalities that exist for certain populations and groups of people who are also experiencing racism and misogyny and barriers to accessing um, healthcare. So it definitely has unfortunately shed a light um, and showed the disproportionate impacts of uh, even family violence and gender-based violence on certain communities who have already been experiencing barriers throughout Hamilton, whether that is access to mental health resources or health care. Let's go into a bit more about Interval House of Hamilton and, and the services that you provide and the programs you provide. Give, give us a, a bit of example. 
So Interval House of Hamilton uh, does have an emergency shelter and a 24-7 crisis line. So it supports uh, families who are needing to leave in a hurry from their homes or situations within the community. We also have two uh, different outreach programs. One includes the Women's Centre of Hamilton, which is located downtown um, near Catherine off of Main Street. And then we also have the Flamborough Women's Resource Centre, which is located in Waterdown that supports uh, folks who are situated uh, living rurally. And so at our outreach services, we have a legal advocate uh, counseling for women who experience violence, abuse, or human trafficking. And we provide support with housing, employment, support for women living unhoused. Uh, And then we have group work as well as some peer support. And that uh, extends as well to our rural location in Waterdown. And then the emergency shelter, of course, has its own uh, list of programs internally, um, but it is our more crisis-based location. What would you say to somebody who's, say, listening now and and has gone through a, a terrible year and, and trying to debate what the next step is and, and whether this is the right road to go? I'm sure that very first step is the hardest one to take. Absolutely. It's definitely one of the most courageous steps that someone can take in in reaching out and accessing that support. Um, So I would say the first step is to just make that call, Uh, find a safe location, find a friend to make that call with you, talk to someone that uh, you trust in helping you move forward and making that initial step. And then hopefully (laughs) the services are there to help guide you and help support you navigate uh, through our various systems and services within the community. We do have uh, various community supports, so it's about finding a good fit and the right one for you. But I think that no matter who you call, whether it's us or another community program, uh, we are here to provide that support, no matter what you're ready for. Once you, you know someone decides to take that step and, and, and as you said, use the word courageous to, to move forward, and, and once they get into uh, some sort of path or, or program or, or light at the end of the tunnel, do you hear a common denominator you know, after a certain point? What do you hear? Uh, I hear a sense of freedom and more security. I think when people are leaving situations or finding a different way to live in situations that are violent or abusive or difficult, the common denominator in being able to move forward um, and being free of violence is that freedom and that security and that element of safety for whether it's that individual or a family member or friend or even children. Liza Ritchie with us, Manager of Community Programs, Interval House of Hamilton, on this National Day of Remembrance and Action on Violence Against Women. And, of course, if you want to find out more about what uh, they're doing down at Interval House of Hamilton, you can go to intervalhousehamilton.org. That's intervalhousehamilton.org. Liza, thank you so much for the time and insight today, and good luck with all of this moving forward. Thank you so much. Thank you, Scott, for having me. Have a great day. You too. All right, uh, a couple of new a couple of new stories coming out of uh, China and Canada and the U.S. relations with such country. Canada's ambassador to China is stepping down, and uh, the U.S. President Joe Biden announced that a dipl- uh, the diplomats would not be going to the Beijing Olympic Games. There's been a uh, diplomatic boycott announced. To talk more, Charles Burton, senior fellow with the Center for Advancing Canada's Interests Abroad at the Macdonald-Laurier Institute, and with us now, Charles. As always, thanks so much for the time. I hope you're doing well. I'm good, Scott. Nice to hear from you. So your thoughts, we talked about this a lot uh, in the past, about the U.S. finally announcing that they would be uh, diplomatically boycotting the games. Does this make a dent? What's China's reaction? Oh, China's really unhappy about it and is threatening retaliation. Because, you know, it definitely harshes their mellow a bit over the Olympics when they'll be showing it domestically and Chinese people are bound to notice that there's no one from the United States in attendance. So... You know, it is it, the whole point of the Olympics is for the Chinese regime to justify themselves as, you know, a great nation among nations. And this kind of thing um, really uh, puts pay to that narrative. So what kind of retaliation would we expect? Oh, I would imagine it would involve, um, you know, limitations on journalists coming to China, 
they they don't really do uh, economic coercion with the U.S. because the U.S. can can answer back. Um, you know, they might start to restrict visas for diplomats to come into the country, that kind of thing. At an extreme level, they could even uh, close down a consulate, but I doubt they'll take it that far. A lot of these threats that the Chinese make are are not followed up on, you know, and so. They express their discontent, and everybody gets worried about the implications. And then, you know, once the Olympics is over, nothing happens. We, we've seen that with the Dalai Lama. You know, they threaten that mm. if the Dalai Lama meets with your leader, there will be dire consequences. Once the Dalai Lama's, uh, you know, flown the flown the country, nothing happens, and it's all forgotten. Do you expect Canada to do the same? The UK, Europe, who else? Well, you know, I, I, um, I. I, I, I would hope that Canada would do the same and other countries would follow suit. It might be a bit finessed by the fact that our ambassador, um, Dominic Barton, has just resigned, so there won't be an ambassador in place to to uh, sit there with the members of the Standing Committee of the Chinese Communist Politburo and, and make nice with them. But uh, I, 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 tr- I hope so. You know, we've got the Summit of Democracies, uh, a U.S. Uh, meeting, international meeting that will be held Thursday and Friday with 110 countries trying to counter authoritarianism, primarily to try and get China into line with the international rules-based order. And that might be a venue at which there would be a sort of conf- um, common action on uh, on the Olympics so that no one country would stick out from the rest. And I hope that Canada would com- would go along with any initiatives to do something substantive as opposed to you know, our usual lip service to we think human rights and democracy is good, but not actually doing anything to show to, that we're prepared to, to to walk the walk as well as talking the talk. As you mentioned, Canada's ambassador to China stepping down, Dominic Barton, after his two years. Why now? Is this typical two-year stint? That's it. Why is he stepping away now? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, he says that it's because uh, his mission is accomplished, that Colrickens favor returned to Canada. And I think it's possible that he's uh, not happy with the potential direction of the government on China, which is to, you know, to to um, play a bit harder ball with them. Uh, Mr. Barton is a proponent that the most important thing that should be more important than anything else in the relationship is trade and investment. And then there's also, you know, he was the global managing director of the uh, McKinsey Company, a a large consulting firm, uh, between 2009 and 2018. And there are about to be hearings in the U.S. Congress where they're going to talk about um, potential security issues with regard to McKinsey, on the one hand, doing consulting for the Pentagon and therefore having knowledge of you know, U.S. military doctrine and plans, and on the other hand, doing consulting with Chinese state firms who, you know, work in a sort of civil military capacity. And so Mr. Barton will, I would imagine, might well be called to speak before Congress, and it might not be too convenient if he was doing that while he was a sitting ambassador. But that's just pure speculation on my part. We'll we'll see how this pans out. Um, you know, now we have to look to get a new ambassador, and I'm hoping we'll get one that will be... Uh, a bit more knowledgeable and effective than uh, than Mr. Barton was and Mr. McCallum was before him. Are you surprised that we haven't heard more from the two Michaels considering this whole journey? Well, we do know that uh, you know evidently um, with the uh, with the agreement of Mr. Barton that that Michael Carving and Michael's favor had told their Chinese jailers that that they would not be talking about their experience on release. Um, at least that's uh, that's the rumor that that I read. Um, you know, the the same thing happened with Kevin Garrett, who you know made such a commitment, but then subsequently wrote a book about his experience to two tears on the on the window, which I highly recommend if you want to know what it's like to spend time in Chinese prison hell. But um, no, we haven't heard very much. And uh, you know, whether the Chinese government is coercing these men to keep quiet by threatening people inside China. If, uh, you know, if they were to speak out, I don't know. Or they may be simply, you know, trying to heal from what was a horrendous, horrendous experience. But uh, particularly with uh, Mr. Favor, he's called for privacy and he's really completely gone to ground. With Kovrick, we've seen a couple of tweets and he's been out and about a little bit. But basically, um, 
you know, we'd really like to have more information from them and assurance that they're that they've come to terms with the experience. And uh, so far, we haven't had that. Hmm. Charles Burton with a senior fellow with the Center for Advancing Canada's Interests Abroad at the McDonald Laurie Institute, talking about Canada's ambassador to China stepping down and the U.S. president announcing a diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Olympic Games. Charles, is always fascinating. Thanks for your time. Be well. Take care. Catch up on the news and information you've missed. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Uh, interesting. I'm just uh, back and forth uh, with Radley. Uh, on uh, who is going to be the quarterback. Has it been announced yet? Uh, it hasn't, but um, uh, I, I don't want to spoil Scott's answer. He'll be on with us at the end of the show, but uh, I, I think I did already let the cat out of the bag and said he said it would be Evans, but you never know. Uh, a, a, a very entertaining game, if you don't mind uh, some dramatics <laughs> in the beginning, but uh, at the end of the day, we got to where we needed to be, and that's all that counts. And now it is going to be uh, one heck of a Grey Cup. It's one thing to get a Grey Cup celebration uh, in your city. And the great thing is we're getting two. Uh, another one in 2023, which was, I thought, a, a brilliant thing to do, considering uh, what has happened with this year and the abbreviated version of what we're doing. Uh, but it's one thing to get it. It's another thing to end up with your home team in it. That is uh, that is the total two thumbs up there. Let's bring in Ryan McHugh, Manager of Tourism and Events with the City of Hamilton, and is with us now. Ryan, thanks for the time i hope you're well hi scott uh, it's the week of the 2021 great cup festival so i couldn't be better uh, so thank yeah, you for having me and i can just imagine i was thinking that about what everybody who's uh, really connected to the great cup how they must have been feeling on on uh, sunday when this whole thing uh, turned around and and finally hamilton wins as i said it's one thing to get the great cup how much more is it or does it mean to have the home team in it what does that mean ryan it's uh, an absolute dream scenario. And as you know, Hamilton's been waiting over 25 years to host a great cup. And uh, when there was uncertainty uh, around uh, you know, what COVID protocols were in place, you know, we were worried that we wouldn't get to do this right. And as you said, we have it not only in 2021, but also 2023. But, you know, as uh, you know, stars seem to align here, not only do we get to have a packed Tim Hortons field with 25,000 fans, you know, we have the Ticats in that uh, you know, not only they haven't won a great cup since uh, 99, but they haven't won at home uh, since 72. So this is uh, absolutely incredible. And this is what uh, Hamiltonians and Ticat fans deserve because we've been waiting a long time for this. And Scott, even when you played the, the highlights from Saturday's game there, yeah. I think all you, including myself, got some serious goosebumps because this is a special moment. So what was it like to go to the office this morning? It must have be been a pretty good buzz around City Hall today. Well, absolutely. i got to say, it's, uh, you know, as much as the Great Cup is an amazing event and I would be happy to attend uh, no matter who's coming, uh, to have, uh, you know, to watch the Argos would be a little disappointing, you know, with all due respect yeah. to our, uh, you know, the franchise down the road. Uh, you know, this is just perfect and this is what the city deserves. So uh, a lot of buzz and you're starting to feel it. And, you will as, uh, you know, people start flying in from Winnipeg and, the events start rolling out, you're just going to see a, a buzz, right? The slow burn uh, leading up to Great Cup Sunday, the city is going to have some serious Great Cup buzz. And, uh, you know, that'll be probably um, around Wednesday uh, once the events really start kicking off around the Great Cup Festival. You're going to see that. And, uh, you know, come Great Cup Sunday, uh, I think everyone in the city is going to know what game's going on because it's going to be incredible. So obviously it's a bit different now, as you said. We're lucky to even get what we got it in, considering where we were last year. Uh, so an abbreviated version. That being said, Ryan, uh, and again, we're we're going to get the full meal deal in 2023. Uh, what is a bit different this year? What can we still do? What is still going on to to have fun for the for the yeah, city of Hamilton? Absolutely, absolutely. And starting at uh, 11 a.m. at Bayfront Park, uh, the Great Cup's going to make a special um, arrival uh, to Hamilton, and you know, have the mayor and the CFL commissioner along with some CFL alums there. So we encourage everyone to come on out to Bayfront Park at 11 a.m. tomorrow. And there'll be over uh, 11, excuse me, over a dozen events leading up to Great Cup Sunday. And you can go to uh, www.greatcupfestival.ca uh, to check them all out. I would rhyme them all off, but I'm scared I'd miss one. And I'd have the Ticats calling me and telling me about that. So it is uh, a great event. And even for, you know, a modified, uh, you know, which was code for at the time for scaled down, uh, it's incredible what the Ticats and the CFL have been able to pull off. If you go to that uh, Great Cup Festival site, you'll see pretty fulsome um, uh, schedule of events, uh, most of which 
throughout the week will be uh, held at the convention center. But there's a number of events, uh, you know, at all price points, so that everyone uh, in Hamilton can participate in the Grey Cup. And then, of course, on the Grey Cup Sunday, we have um, the Sirius uh, XM uh, tailgate. So you'll have the Trues and a whole bunch of Canadian bands playing up to the game. And then, of course, at the halftime show, we have Hamilton's own Arkells and the Ticats will be humming as you played before, as well as the Lumineers. So it's going to be a great week of uh, celebrating, you know, not only uh, Canadian CFL football, but also the, all the musical talent we have here in Canada and, of course, Hamilton. Very exciting, and, and remember, it's been we remember it's been a long time since we did this party uh, last time. Uh, now yes. we get two kicks of the can in the next uh, in the next two to three years. So, how does this help you with twenty twenty three? Does it at all? Oh, absolutely! And uh, you know, let's hope the Tie Cats get a big Grey Cup win, and we got to find out how do we top that off in a few mm. years. But uh, even just the you know, holding the Grey Cup itself, it's a big logistical event. Everything from you know, police plans, fire, EMS. Um, so to have, uh, you know, the the opportunity to hold a great cup on a, a bit of a scaled-down basis, it's just going to, you know, allow us all to um, be even more prepared when we do it in a big way in 2023. And, uh, and I can say uh, from the CFL to the Ticats to the city and now all the partners that uh, come together to make a great cup happen, 2021 is going to be special. 2023 is going to be uh, precedent-setting. It's going to be quite the year. So, uh, very exciting, and you know, as we said, couldn't be happier to have the Ticats in there in a championship game this time around. Some people aren't sure why we all do this. Uh, the Ontario government announced it was going to give money for this year's and the 2020, uh, 2023 Grey Cup, and and I forget exactly what the figure is, but for every dollar that's put in, uh, you know, a bazillion come out of it. Well, maybe not that many, but certainly a lot. <laughs> so who's to, who's going to sp- where, where's the spinoff going to be? Who benefits from this? Uh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, past Grey Cup reports, they've shown, uh, whether it was at Edmonton or Calgary, approximately $80 million when the Grey Cup's at its full scale on economic impact. And, you know, what, what that looks like in practice, that's every hotel room in the city is booked to capacity throughout the week. And we're nearing that. Uh, I bet you uh, if I were to check again, we'd be full and you'd probably be having overflow into Burlington and Oakville, et cetera. Uh, restaurants, bars, live music venues just going to have a huge uptick in business um you know we're doing i noticed um the chamber of commerce is bringing back their hamilton day promotion to promote uh, you know shop local during great cup week so mm-hmm. uh you know huge economic uplift uh you know as a result of events such as the great cup and you know 2021 is going to be um you know a big economic impact and then when all restrictions are removed and we can have a full great cup festival in 2023 i suspect will meet those you know, $80 million economic impact figures and even exceed them in the years to come. So definitely something that, um, whether it be BIAs, Chamber of Commerce, uh, businesses we're speaking to, uh, telling us they're very excited and they got lots of uh, business coming their way as a result of the Great Cup. And also, let's not forget about the World Cup qualifier and then the NHL outdoor game. Man, this is a great season oh. for the Hammer. It is, and uh, you know this is just stars aligning, and you know it's just great to see all of this. And you know, hats off to you know the Tidecats uh, and Soccer Canada and the NHL for making that happen here in Hamilton. And as Tourism Hamilton, you know we work uh, closely with these groups to make sure whatever we could do to facilitate that here happens. So uh, it's great, you know, coming out of uh, you know, hopefully the tail end of uh, you know COVID restrictions here, really. Our economy needs this. Our businesses, small businesses need it. Our accommodation sector, our restaurants. So it's great that we're coming out of this with a bang, with a big, great cup, uh, with a huge, huge uh, you know, heritage classic, which we're going to have the Leafs and Sabres playing at Tim Hortons Field. That'll be a sold-out game. Uh, the uh, World Cup qualifier has sold out as well. So these are just huge events that people are going to be coming in from all over, flying into our airport, staying in our hotels eating at a restaurant, shopping at our businesses. So just amazing, uh, not only from an entertainment standpoint, but also to support local businesses. Ryan McHugh with us, Manager of Tourism and Events with the City of Hamilton. Obviously, Ty Cats in the Grey Cup and then the World Cup qualifier and the outdoor game. Man, what a great year it is going to be post-COVID-19 pandemic uh, to be in the hammer. Ryan, good luck with all this moving forward. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Really appreciate you having me, Scott. 
You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. You know, with you coming to the round table, that you'd bring the uh, tray of drinks over with you. Yeah. But I, I you, you, all you brought is your parrot head. I mean, come on. Where's the tray? <sighs> all right. Should have brought one of get... the parrots from the aviary at least. <laughs> yeah, really. That's Left what we the need. blender at home. That's it. All right. Uh, before we get started to the big round table, uh, Peggy Chapman from the Bulldog sent me a note, and we were talking to uh, the tourism people of City of Hamilton and how great it is to the Grey Cup and the Ticats are in it. Peggy wanted me to mention that the Bulldogs game this Wednesday against Oshawa, so it's going to be a great game anyway. First Ontario Center, Wednesday, Bulldogs at Oshawa. The Bulldogs players will be wearing Ticat-themed jerseys, and I went to the website. They look very cool. Uh, so they'll be wearing these uh, Ticat-themed jer- uh, jerseys during the Wednesday game against Oshawa, and then they will be auctioned off for the Bulldogs Foundation. Ticat alumni will be there as well. So, uh, man, everybody's getting into the spirit. Wednesday, uh, the Ticat alumni will be at the Bulldogs game against Oshawa, and the players uh, auctioning off their jerseys, which have a Ticat theme to them. So very cool. All right. Uh, everybody's getting into the spirit. Uh, the round table is here. Obviously, we're playing uh, the Jimmy Buffet because Ken Mann is in for Ted Michaels. And I'm sure that... Uh, uh, that Ken will say of all the songs to play, do you have to play that one? Those are for the you know the bagging uh, the bandwagon <laughs> jumper Jimmy Buffett fans. They're not really fans. Oh, it's recognizable though. You know it's, that's it. Uh, we, we got we it. do what we have to do. It's the national anthem, as we say in the. Uh... And, and, you know, the temperature... Land. In and Margaritaville. The, yes, <laughs> that's right. Did you get your margarita yet, Diana? Has yours been made yet? No, yes, yet. I'm drinking no. it right now. Oh, you did get one! <laughs> well, clearly, uh, geography has its privileges here. Oh, All yes. right, uh, uh, Will Erskine, Ken Mann, and Diana Weeks are on the big round table. Uh, let's start with the poll question of the day, because that is what we always do. Uh, will the new variant, the Omicron, uh, will it change your holiday plans at this point? 87% of the poll question of the day on Twitter saying no. Diana, we'll start with you. Does it change anything uh, any different uh, after the weekend as before? No, I don't think so. Um, I think that it's everything's going to be just the same. I mean, as mentioned before, though, I'm taking it day by day. So if all of a sudden yeah. we you know we learn more that it's more transmissible, that it's more you know uh, you know scarier than the Delta, then of course then we'll adjust the plans. But for now, I think it's good. And we got a small gathering anyways this Christmas. So yeah, yeah, Kenny. No, not for me. I mean, from what we're hearing so far, it's not as transmittable as the uh, yeah. Delta variant. So, no, I, it, we're, we're going to have to get used to these these variants going forward. This isn't going to be the last one, as was pointed out by our medical officer of health today, as long as we yeah. don't have uh, vaccine equity around the world. So it's just something we need to start getting used to living with, I think. And remember when Delta came out, everybody was concerned about that as well. And we're going to ask uh, epidemiologists we have coming on the show later on, because Dr. Fauci did say, as you mentioned, Ken, earlier uh, in the weekend, that uh, although, you know, the, the jury's still out, it didn't look to be as dangerous uh, as as Delta is. Will, do you want to jump in on this? Changing yeah. anything for you? Are you coming out of the Ziploc bag or what? Yeah, uh, for the most part, Christmas plans stay the same. You know, I, I do small holidays anyway. The only one that's been, like, teetering on the balance is whether or not I'm going to go see the new Matrix film in theaters in December. That's when I saw the ad last night. I'm like, Omicron, just hold off. I got to see that one after there that, whatever. Go. We'll find We're- out, I guess, in the 5 o'clock hour when you have Dr. Rody and Dr. Richardson, right? Absolutely. All right. Uh, let's talk about the Thai Cats and what happened over the course of the weekend. Get everybody's impression on the game. Uh, lots of stuff to talk about. Lots of different angles uh, to talk about. Uh, we'll start with you, Diana. Uh, I remember at the beginning of the game, uh, my boy had lost faith and started screaming and yelling obscenities about the Thai Cats. And then, my goodness, after a switching quarterback, it's amazing how things came, uh, turned around, rather. Your thoughts on the game? Yeah, I mean, it didn't look good in the first quarter there. I was watching, and, uh, you know, when they when they switched for Evans, I mean, the whole game changed, as you said. So I thought that was really great and uh, super excited. I didn't personally go to the game in Toronto yesterday. I got some, I had some stuff going on, but my husband went. He said it was a blast. But, you know, of course, it's it's this stuff that's that's marring the, the win, yeah. you know, this violent altercation yeah it's just it gives us a bad name and of course the argo players i don't know they should have done that and it's just not good 
You know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, and we've seen this happen in the NHL as well. How drunk do you have to be to decide to take on a professional athlete who is in full equipment? I mean, at what point do you say, you know, I- I'm not going to win here? It just amazes me to no end that people will get loaded enough to think they can actually take on a pro athlete. Want to weigh in, Ken? Well, yeah, that's <laughs> that's fair. I mean, yeah, you're putting yourself into a ridiculous position, and it even looks like they climbed a barrier to get into the area yeah. where the players were. So, yeah. I, I and Diana's right. It doesn't make the city look particularly great when that's happening. So, oh, well, onwards and upwards we go. And it's exciting uh, this week because it's only so often you get to host a Grey Cup. And then when your team gets to participate in that Grey Cup, that's ultimately more exciting even. So it should be a great week and hopefully a great game on the weekend. And as, as for this weekend's game, it's not how you start. It's how you finish in sports most of the time. And they brought the game when they needed to at the end. That's exactly it. And it's amazing, as you said, uh, we were just talking to the city and their tourism department on this. It's one thing to be hosting the Grey Cup, but then as soon as your team is in it, then it just elevates this to a whole different level, abbreviated uh, edition or not. Uh, any ideas on who should be quarterbacking come come Sunday? I think that's a resounding 100% Evans. <laughs> that, that would be the feeling you would have after watching that game for sure. Yeah. So uh, that's it. It's done. All right. Because nothing's been announced yet, I understand. I don't, I don't know. No. Officially. I, was, I just emailed Radley, and, and he said at this point nothing, uh, nothing is firm, but it'll be interesting to see. Well, I wouldn't be surprised because normally the, the coaches like to be yeah. a little cagey yeah. on these things and, and hold their cards back a little bit. So uh, when he announces it, I don't know, maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day, but... I'm not, I don't think he'll rush. It gives you sort of that element of uh, uncertainty for the opposition, too, I suppose. Well, you want to weigh in on this, and, uh, you know, it, here we are talking about a great time and a great thing, and, we're, and, and all of a sudden it only takes one fan to, to spoil the atmosphere. Uh, any thoughts on, on what happened over the course of the weekend? And uh, I hope this person didn't have tickets for the Grey Cup. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know if it really spoils it. You know, it's not going to go down in the history book. He's not going to have his photo next to it or anything like that. Um, I, as for the game itself, I, I think that's almost the game you, you want to have, right? Where you, you yeah. get the suspense yeah. build up so that it means even more when you win at the end. Um, as, as for the question of how drunk you have to be to take on a foot, uh, take on any football player, uh, whatever that guy blew in the, into the ventilator later on or whatever, <laughs> I think we got the answer. We maybe put that one in the books but I, I don't think it's too much of I don't think it's too much of a downer it's just you hope that they have even better security uh, at any of these games in the future or something like that you know yeah and how All rich right. was this guy drinking like getting that loaded at a game where you know they're like 10 bucks a pop yeah for- he afforded at yeah. least two Good beers <laughs> and, and then he, and then he kept going at the players. Like you'd think after the initial, uh, you know, you start you start to say something, and then all of a sudden there's a player there. Oh yeah, what have I done here? I'm backing way down. But he kept going back for more. Which, uh, yeah, it's um, yeah. Uh, I, I I wonder how he's feeling about it today. We'll leave it at that. All right, thank you, Big Round Table, as always. All right, Merck has uh, announced it will manufacture an antiviral pill for COVID nineteen, uh, which is still under Health Canada review. Uh, through a Whitby pharmaceutical company. We want to talk about that and uh, also uh, surprise Ian Lee and ask him a couple other things he didn't expect. It. Uh, Ian Lee is with us, Associate Professor, Sprott School of Business, Carleton University, and here now. Ian, as always, thanks so much for the time. I hope you're doing well. Yes, I am. My pleasure. Thank you. First, uh, wanted to announce your take on the uh, Chinese, uh, sorry, the Canadian ambassador to China, Dominic Barton, uh, ste- uh, stepping aside after his two-year stint. Uh, your thoughts? Uh, why now? I think it was inevitable. Number one. Number two. I applaud his decision to step down. Number three. The reason or the logic is uh, because I think he had he was. Uh, in the court of public opinion in our country, and he was the ambassador from Canada, not from China, he was perceived by many, not everybody, but I think many people saw him to be perhaps too much of a cheerleader for China. Hmm. And I don't mean that I'm I'm not trying to trash him and say that he was an apologist for China. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is he was becoming, you know, he was always very strong, very bullish on China. And and, you know, um, saying, hey, huge opportunities there. And I've been teaching there for 20-odd years, and I agree, mm-hmm. there are huge opportunities. However, 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 
the two Michaels changed the, the capture, the illegal detention of to the two Canadians, uh, violation of rule of law, the whole bit. I think changed the court, uh, uh, the court of public opinion, changed the views of Canadians, and he was on the wrong side, basically, of where we have to go as a country. Mm-hmm. And I think that the real, the Liberal government realized he had become essentially a liability. And I do not mean that he's not a good person. By the way, he's a very smart guy. Let's be put that right out there. He's a very smart guy, former managing partner of McKinsey, probably the most prestigious consulting firm in the world. But you can be a really, really, really smart person and be a very talented person and a very capable person and still acquire baggage. You know, I mean, coaches in the NHL do get fired, even brilliant coaches, you know, and and players do come to the end of their career one day. And um, I think that his his public pronouncements, uh, even after the two Michaels had been captured, uh, seized, um, uh, uh, were just, they were too rah-rah. And I mean by rah-rah, that's sort of a salesperson term, you know. He yeah. had just seen too much as a, a cheerleader, uh, as if there was nothing had ever changed. There, there were no changes in the relationship. And the relationship with Canada and China has changed. And and I don't I don't think he had the... Uh, the the credibility any longer to uh, take us to the next uh, to the next step to the next stage. All right, let's uh, talk about this new uh, antiviral pill. We remember at the beginning of the pandemic when the prime minister said, "Oh, by the way, we don't make these drugs anymore," and ended up being six months behind everybody else in in mass vaccination and such. Uh, obviously, that attitude's probably changing as well. Now we find out that this pill is uh, going to be married by a uh, manufactured rather by a company right. in Whitby. Uh, your thoughts on this? Although I guess for this type of thing, this is not really much of a big event, uh, venture for Canada. This is something we have done before. But your yes. thoughts on this change in attitude? Um, I'm going to be very nuanced. And I've done a lot of research because I've been doing I've been doing a lot of uh, speaking to media journalists yourself and others on other uh, networks and so forth in the last several months. And so I've done a lot of work on I mean research on this uh, because it's a very important topic, and it confirmed what I I suspected um, because I already knew a fair amount about this industry. My, I use it every year in my classes. Pharma, so I'm going to get to Merck in a moment. Pharmaceutical industry and unless talking the manufacturing of drugs or vaccines is an extraordinarily complex and very capital-intensive industry. That doesn't mean we shouldn't get into it. That's not my point. My point is is that the, because the costs are in the billions, I mean in the billions, uh, generally speaking, for a pharmaceutical company, you need long production runs. And Canada is a tiny little country. We like to think we're a gigantic country, and we are geographically, but we're smaller than the state of California. What does that mean? It means that we need a word that was very fashionable five or six or seven years ago, world product mandate. If we can get a world, we, Canada on this product, can get a world product mandate to produce it, not just for the Canadian market, but for the world market, or at least a good chunk of the world market, then it's a good good um, step forward. However, if, and so I'm giving a nuance, uh, Scott, if behind the scenes it turns out that the government of Canada is throwing gazillions at this to make the drug, then I don't think it's a good thing because it's not sustainable. We can't subsidize everything and everybody that comes down the pipe. And so what we have to do is seek sustainability. The liberals talk about sustainability all the time. And in the context of manufacturing, whether it's electric batteries for cars, whether it's pharmaceutical products or vaccines, you need to have long production runs. For, and for those who say, I don't understand why we have to have long production runs, because the damn plant costs 50 or $500 million. So you have to coming. sell more than there are Canadians, basically. You've got to sell more than there are Canadians. That's why you need a world or at least a Western world, European and North American product mandate, so you can sell millions and millions of copies to recoup your price per copy. So uh, at the end, in the end, is this uh, groundbreaking in any way? How does this uh, announcement change right. this discussion? Listen, first off, I don't want to sound like I'm uh, you know, uh, poo-pooing this. I mean, this is good news. This is a vote of confidence in uh, the, the company that they're partnering with and in southern Ontario. Um, and uh, that's good news for Canada. And, and this is a world-class company, let's be very clear, 
cutting edge, one of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world. So that's good. That's all good news. Really what I'm asking, uh, and I don't have the answer, is it, are we going to get, or is Canada going to uh, be uh, given by Merck uh, a world class, uh, product mandate? Are we going to or just be told you can only sell this in Canada, or are they going to say you are our manufacturing agent for to sell this drug wherever we can sell it around mm-hmm. the world. If so, it will be sustainable and it will create lots and lots of good jobs in Canada. If they're saying, oh, no, no, we're only doing this for the Canadian market, then I can tell you behind the scenes that means they're getting subsidized by the government of Canada to put this up. And, and I don't believe that subsidized jobs are the, the way, the, you know, the, the, the path to a future, uh, a successful future. The truth and only the truth. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. All right. uh, Interesting as we find out more about the Omicron variant. Of course, last week, everybody was concerned how uh, dangerous this might be, what its uh, transmissibility would be, and if, in fact, we were stepping backwards. And it kind of felt like that uh, at times last week. Uh, Again, we don't know a lot yet. It still is a little early. We're going to still need a few more days to uh, for scientists to figure out exactly uh, what we are dealing with. But Dr. Fauci said some interesting information uh, on the U.S. media this uh, past weekend. We're saying that uh, he figured, and, that, and again, this is still really early, and he stressed that, but it didn't appear that uh, this variant, the Omicron variant, uh, was as dangerous as Delta. And then he did stress, we still don't have all of the information in, but let's bring in Dr. Rodney Rohde, professor and chair of the Clinical Laboratory Science Program at the College of Health Professions, Texas State University, and with us now. Doctor, thanks again for taking the time. I hope you're doing well. Good afternoon, Scott. I'm doing good. I hope you are, too. So last week, we were, you know, people were getting pretty anxious about all of this, Rodney, and and it looked like uh, we may be stepping backwards. Uh, Again, I understand it is still really early, but everybody's just dying to know and and find out what the latest information is. What can you tell us after the weekend that perhaps we didn't know last week? Not a ton. I mean, again, it's only been three or four days since we talked last week, and I think what, again, what we're going to be doing over the next, I know we talked about this before, the next several weeks, we're going to have to watch the global epidemiology around clinical cases. Uh, there's so much that, that can be gained from that because we really need to see the time frame from when people were admitted into hospitals. Do they have the Omicron variant versus Delta or some other variant? And then what are their outcomes? Are they vaccinated? Are they unvaccinated? Are we seeing protection or non-protection? And again, as I've mentioned before, we, you know, what's coming out of South Africa and now actually all over the world is that um, it appears uh, that people right now are not having a severe illness, but that it's very transmissible. And I'm still kind of holding out on my uh, full opinion around what Dr. Fauci talked about. I'm not sure if it's going to be as bad as Delta, but we certainly need to keep an eye on it. And again, as he stated, it is very, very early. Uh, and again, um, and, and I don't mean to diminish the severity of this and, and that we still should keep our defenses up, but I also remember when Delta came out, we were very concerned about that and whether the vaccines would respond to it. Right. I think the difference now between Delta and Omicron was, you might remember when Delta came out, we were still you know, ramping through vaccination while yeah. we haven't reached, you know, what we'd like to see, which is in the 80, 90 percentile in the U.S. and elsewhere, we are way better than we were in, in that time frame back when Delta first hit. So, again, I do believe most experts believe that if you're in, if you are vaccinated and certainly if you are get boosted, I believe we're going to see, you know, solid protection. Again, we're going to make sure. Uh, but even if we don't, I think you're going to still see that vaccine provide um protection to the point of keeping you out of severe illness and death. And most of the vaccination manufacturers are going ahead anyway with looking at single um, single Omicron protective vaccines. Now, those, those will take a little while, but not nearly as long as back in the day when we didn't have the mRNA technology. And so, so I still think within two to three months, depending on uh, which manufacturer you listen to, they could have another vaccine if we absolutely need it. That remains to be seen. 
One of the things that Dr. Fauci had said over the weekend was that initially last week when when this was really uh, making the news was that the, the, the spike was through the roof. It just it seemed to take off. The new cases just were. Uh, we're increasing at at, uh, at an alarming rate. But then he said, and, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, that didn't seem to be translating into illnesses, which to him, uh, again, this is all very early information, suggested that although it is very transmissible, uh, perhaps not as uh, dangerous. Uh, I know you just said that it's a little early for you to make that assumption, but what are your thoughts on what his points were about how at the beginning it's like, oh my goodness, look how this has taken off, and yet it hasn't right. really increased illnesses? Yeah, I think, you know, any of us that follow this, uh, including all the experts that are following, are concerned about the rapid reporting around transmissibility. I mean, that's always a concern. I would say that most virologists and public health experts and physicians, for that matter, are going to look at that as a concern. That's up there in the top two or three things you worry about. But the number one thing uh, that most of us watch is, you know, mortality. Is it causing Mm -hmm. or, or even severe illness? Is it putting people in the hospital or is it putting people on ventilators? You know, is it causing severe disease and potentially, you know, higher mortality? That's number one. And so we really are waiting on that. We really haven't seen that, uh, to my knowledge. And so that's what we're waiting for. Now, I will tell you, I think, here in the United States and probably in Canada and elsewhere, I think what we're going to see, I mean, I think today it's been reported 17 U.S. states have reported it. That might have changed in the last hour or two. Uh, But, you know, as you look with that surveillance, that genomic surveillance, people should not be surprised to see it pop up in your state where you live or in your territory or what have you, because we are uh, looking for it. That's not a surprise. And then when it does start popping up, I think people need to realize that we may be facing a 2022 with really a couple of circulating variants. I think we're going to see Delta um, kind of circulating among the unvaccinated, primarily among the unvaccinated with a small percentage in those who have already received the vaccination, those so-called breakthroughs. But I think what some of the early data is also showing, interestingly, right now, again, subject to change, is that Omicron seems to be infecting a little bit at a higher rate. Those who actually had a COVID infection recovered, but were not vaccinated. Hmm. So that's that's kind of an interesting feature, meaning, again, and we've talked about this, Scott, I know we've talked about it on your show and others, is that people still need to consider vaccination even if they've had the infection and recovered because what what we're seeing is that if you've had an infection naturally and recovered they still seem to be not giving giving you that large broad spectrum protection like a vaccine does so that's still kind of the take home point is to please get vaccinated please get boosted unless you know you have a major medical reason not to i would still recommend that Dr. Rodney Rohde with us, professor and chair of the Clinical Laboratory Science Program at the College of Health Professions with Texas State University. Doctor, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Thanks so much, Scott, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, last week, uh, all the chatter was about the new Omicron variant and uh, lots of concern about it. Uh, obviously, uh, now we've had one of two Hamilton area residents who traveled to Africa has been confirmed as uh, the city's uh, first to test positive from this new variant. To talk more about all of this, joining us is Dr. Elizabeth Richardson, Chief Medical Officer of Health for the city of Hamilton and with us now. Doctor, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Thanks, definitely, and uh, I hope you are too. Yeah, thanks so much. What can you tell us now, Elizabeth, about this new uh, this new discovery of the new variant in Hamilton, and and how is the patient doing? Yeah, so we have, of course, had one case that has now had that whole genome sequencing, those special genetic tests that they do on the COVID nineteen viruses to see if it is that Omicron variant, and it's been confirmed that it is. And this isn't an individual who did travel. Um, overseas to Africa, as you said, and so um, that does represent our first case here. We do, of course, have one other case who we're still waiting for final results on that we're continuing to watch. And do we know how the person is doing that is confirmed? Are they ill? Do they show any signs of, of, uh, of the variant? How are they doing? I can't really give you any further details in terms of mm-hmm. this uh, particular case, but I, what I can say is, you know, those, that's the kind of information overall that we're looking to get over the coming weeks. 
um, from around the globe as we look at what is happening with these cases of Omicron. You know, we've got some experience just starting here in Canada, but a little more experience, of course, from Africa where um, the first cases were detected and some from other countries as well. So watching very closely to see how it is, how people do, are they, do they get sicker with this variant? Do they uh, continue to have good coverage from the vaccine? You know, are there any implications from a treatment perspective as we're just starting to get treatments underway um, for those who have uh, have the COVID-19 virus? So important questions that we're all looking to get the, uh, the answers on. And, and obviously, we, we've heard that it's going to be a little while before we get all the details on, on what exactly this new variant will look like. Uh, that being said, uh, Dr. Fauci from the United States said on U.S. media over the weekend, and again, he stressed that there was, they were still waiting for more information and that this is all very premature. But at, at first glance, uh, considering the spike of the new variant was so great, uh, and he, and he was alluding that the, the, uh, severity doesn't seem to be at this point as severe. Any thoughts to that? And again, he did stress this was all very premature information. Absolutely. It's definitely premature information. And, and we're all watching very closely and trying to interpret, um, anything we can from what we're seeing in the, the early, uh, information. And so, of course, one of those concerns is that it might be more transmissible. Um, but we really need more experience from the standpoint of the number of cases to know if it's really, you know, a more severe virus or not. And so definitely not something to panic about. We did, you know, know that there was likely to be further variants that do occur because we don't yet have the degree of immunization globally that we're fortunate enough to have here in Hamilton and here in Canada as a whole. And so that is one very important aspect to this is to make sure that we get vaccines and vaccine coverage around the world so we can minimize the the generation of these kinds of variants because every opportunity for transmission is one where we could get a variant uh, generated. So that's where we'll be continuing to look and see what do we see in terms of severity with this. That's one of the concerns. Is it transmissible? Do the vaccines work? And so following that area very closely. Uh, there's been obviously a few variants since this all started way back when. Delta is still the, the predominant variant uh, for us. Uh, but something that has come out of all of these is that we hear, we hear the term that you mentioned, it's more transmissible. It's more transmissible. Uh, how much, how significant is that? How much of a problem is it that it, it appears that it, trans, it uh, transmits from person to person a, a little easier? So the transmissibility is definitely something of concern, but it's still the same virus overall. It's still one that that we know that the mask, the physical distancing, staying home if you're unwell, uh, limiting the number of contacts, that that does work. And so that's those are things to, to remember to continue. And whether we're dealing with Delta, which makes up more than 99% of what we see here in Hamilton right now, or we're uh, dealing with a new variant, those remain the cornerstones of what we can do. And of course, vaccination is really important. As I said, 99% of what we're seeing here in Hamilton is that Delta variant, and that vaccine does work really well. So important to keep focused on on what we have going on and have the protections that we have. But really, I think when we're looking at Omicron, what's really going to be concerning to us is if there's any concern around the vaccine and its effectiveness or that it's more severe than other other variants. And so, you know, we'll watch closely to see if that's the case. But in the meantime, those core core ways of protecting ourselves remain really important. And is there any reason to believe at this point, and again, I know I'm asking you questions that it's impossible to answer, but is there any reason to believe that we'll have to alter holiday plans at this point? And we know what we have to do. We know that we have to do the, the proper distancing and making sure everybody's getting vaccinated. But at this point, do you see it changing anything? And I know it's too early to ask those questions, but <laughs> your gut feeling. The gut feeling. Well, I think, you know, for those that have traveled to those parts of the world, it is going to be altering their holiday plans because they we are asking them to yep. stay at home, to isolate um, and to get tested and, and follow up. So those are absolutely um, things that we're asking those who have traveled to those parts of the world to do. Um, as we go forward, you know, whether it is the Delta variant or, um, you know, whatever it is as we, we deal with it going forward, staying you know, in tune with what is happening here in Hamilton. We are seeing that there are surges in some other communities in Algoma, Sudbury, we've seen surges. We've seen one now down in Windsor. 
And so, you know, we're constantly looking to see if there are any other measures that we might need to take. We've been fortunate now for many weeks that we've just had a, a steady rate with, uh, with this Delta virus, so we've been okay. But keeping um, in mind the pieces about uh, physical distancing, wearing a mask, being very thoughtful about the number of close contacts that you have, and being very thoughtful about the people that, uh, that you're living with, maybe in your home, are important to connect with over the holidays, because we know that people who are older, particularly those over age 70, people who are immunocompromised for whatever reason, that they're still more susceptible to uh, the, the Delta virus, even if they've been vaccinated. And so we're uh, wanting to make sure we take good care of our loved ones in our community as well. All right, last question, Doctor. Obviously a pretty exciting uh, weekend for football fans here in the Hammer, and we know it's coming up uh, next weekend with the Grey Cup. We certainly do have an abbreviated version of, of what the festivities uh, can bring. That being said, lots of people are coming in, uh, coming to town for this uh, week and this weekend. Any, any concerns or thoughts about hosting the Grey Cup at this point? You know, no concerns at all. One of the things that we are doing is learning to live with this COVID-19 virus and what that means. And so making sure that we, uh, you know, have the opportunity to do at least some of the normal things in life and particularly to celebrate, you know, teams as wonderful as their Hamilton Tiger Cats, so proud of them. And uh, and just doing it sensibly, being smart about these things, as I said earlier, you know, you've got to make sure you continue to think about those public health measures. Make sure you're wearing your mask if you're not eating or drinking. Make sure that you're you're thoughtful about these events and how you celebrate them, whether you're fortunate enough to be there in the stadium or watching from home. And uh, in the meantime, just go Ticats. Dr. Elizabeth Richardson with us, uh, Chief Medical Officer of Health for the City of Hamilton, talking about where we are with variants and an impending Grey Cup victory. Doctor, as always, thanks so much for the time. Thanks for all the work that you and your staff do for keeping us all safe here in the Hammer. Have a great night. Thanks so much, Scott. You too. If you're all about drama and gossip, well, this isn't for you. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. And with us now, Scott, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Doing great, Scott. Doing great. All right, let's talk first about uh, the game we all watched on Sunday. Uh, it took everything I had to keep my son from jumping off of a bandwagon. And, you know, uh, he was running around yelling, Ty Cats suck. What the heck is going on here, Dad? And then all of a sudden, uh, a switching quarterback, and, and it's a brand new world, and he's back on the bandwagon. Uh, your thoughts on what we all saw, I- including, well, it's just some bizarre plays, but, you know, that's the CFL. What are your thoughts? Well, I know some people have asked, um, so who do they start on Sunday when they play in the Grey Cup? Do they start Jeremiah? That's my next question. Or do they start Dane Evans? And let me put it this way. If Orlando Steinauer and his coaching staff start Jeremiah Mazzoli after what we saw on the weekend and not Dane Evans, Bob Young should walk down on the sidelines and fire them for malpractice before the opening kickoff. Because (laughs) it is, like, this year... They were very, very, very loyal to Jeremiah Masoli, even when he wasn't necessarily playing really well. They, in this game, things aren't going well, put in Dane Evans, the entire game flips. I mean, you can make a case, perhaps, that had they been playing Dane Evans through the year, maybe that game isn't in Toronto, but at Tim Horton's field. Because some of those Mm. games that they didn't win, they might have won. There is no chance. There is no chance, Dane Evans, unless he gets hurt or gets COVID, heaven forbid, um, there is no chance Dane Evans is not starting the Grey Cup game. You couldn't possibly not start him. So, you know what, but yeah, to your point and to your son and all the rest about, you know, what was going on, it it was a miserable start. It was a completely miserable start. And, you know, if that punt return doesn't get run back for a touchdown, it might have been a miserable finish. But, the boy, you know, the, in every game, and maybe even before then, it might have been when Evans stripped that, that uh, you know, through the interception and then or the fumble. So let's, and then took let's it back talk that about that. Let's talk about that because uh, I think at that moment – uh, my son had left the room and we had to rewind that and watch it like three times to really understand what the heck happened when Dane Evans threw a uh, an interception and then 
you know, as the ball then changes direction and comes back, he somehow strips the player of the ball and ends up with it. I mean, my goodness, just that alone is, is just makes you, sh- you know, oh my goodness, this is incredible. Well, look, so full marks to Dane Evans for coming in. I think he was 16 for 16. And I mean, he played as well as you can play at quarterback yeah. pretty much. Um, there's another part to this too, though. And, and this is the part that if you're a Ticat fan, as excited as you are that they're in the great cup, I think you got to be a little concerned because, you know, they didn't play really well, as I say, at the start. And then the Argos gifted them some stuff. And one of them yeah. was that. I mean, every single player who's ever played football has been told, if you have control of the ball, control the ball. Don't just yeah. hold it out there, hanging it out there so somebody can that's, rip it out of your hand. Protect that, the ball. That's, that's exactly what my son and I were saying, yep. And this guy was, like, running down the field like he was in a – an egg race at the family picnic. Like it didn't matter that the ball was out there. And you know, uh, you take, you take that away. You take that stupidity away from the Argos. You take away some of the, what I thought and a lot of other people apparently too, were very conservative, very dumb calls by the Argos at the beginning of the game, not to go for it when they're at the two or three yard line and settle for field. Hmm. That is a potentially very different game. And then of course the punt return. So, you know, absolutely good for the Ticats for stealing it back, but boy, they got some help. And I don't think if you look at the other side, look at what Winnipeg did. I mean, they won despite turning the ball over six times. Again, that, Kurt and I were that, talking about this. We're watching this game, and it's like, I don't think anybody here looks impressive. That never happens. You never turn the ball over six times and win a game. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I just think if you're a Ticat fan, the concern you have is that I don't think Winnipeg can possibly play that badly again, and yet they still won. I don't think there's any mm. way Winnipeg could possibly mm. stink the joint out like that again. So the Ticats, I'm not saying the Ticats can't win. The Ticats can win. But they're going to have to, first of all, come out and play right off the bat, not take a while yeah. to sort of work their way into the game. And then I think realistically hope that maybe Winnipeg still has a little bit of the fumble fingers or whatever else and isn't at the very best Winnipeg can be. All right, I uh, can't let you go without your thoughts on the fan fight at the end of it all. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm asking all day, how drunk do you have to be to take on a professional athlete, let alone one wearing a helmet? Uh, your thoughts? And one who's ticked off at the end of a game. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, remember a few years ago, probably 15 years ago. I know what you're going to say. Ivor Wynn, well, after a Labor Day game at Ivor Wynn, there was a Thai cat and Argo fan that got into a fight, and one of them bit the ear off the other guy. I can't remember who bit yeah. the ear off of who. Look, this stuff happens, but you're right. Um, you, you take a cranky player who's just lost a playoff game, and there are different reports about what happened. One said it was just comments. One said he spat in the guy's face. I mean, who knows? I don't know what the details are yet. But, yeah, I, I think that um, liquor may have been involved. <laughs> I, think that's I just hope he didn't have tickets to the Grey Cup. Uh, I suspect that um, the player is going to find himself in trouble. Because you just can't do that, no matter who the fan is. But yeah. I suspect that that fan may never be allowed in a CFL stadium ever again. All right. Uh, as always, thank you so much, Scott. It's been a pleasure. And Scott, of course, uh, coming up right after the six o'clock news. Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. Scott, thanks for the time. Have a great show tonight. I'm sure it's going to be interesting. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. As always, we leave it to you, the good Hamilton listener, to have the last word. This time it's Annabelle who has a comment on those couple of Hamiltonians that try to make us all look bad. They don't realize that these guys are 200 and 300 pounds all muscle. Even if these two morons have season tickets, they should make to give them up if they're going to the Great Cup. Make them give them up for whomever that cannot afford to go to the game. Well said.